Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, I'm going to cover Where You Go, Life Lessons from My Father by Charlotte Pence. This is book 38 of 52 for my 2020 reading list. This episode is part of a special series I'm doing where I'm reading a book by or about each of the four main candidates for president and vice president. I then cover each candidate on the podcast, and I have done so in this order. October 9th, I covered Kamala Harris. October 16th, Donald Trump. October 23rd, Joe Biden. And today, October 30th, Mike Pence. The election is on Tuesday, November 3rd. I'm going to make as much of an effort as possible to not use any outside information. I'm presenting what I learned from this book, not from news or from family and friends or, or other sources. This episode will follow a very similar structure to the first three episodes where I covered Kamala Harris, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden. My goal is to present the content in such a way as you cannot tell who I favor. However, this episode is going to be a little different than the other three. There are two main reasons for this. First, Mike Pence does not have a book. He does he has not written a book. And this is actually a book by his daughter, Charlotte Pence, but it contains a lot of information about him. It's not the same type of book as the others be, because of that. The second reason is I, I also want to cover a third-party candidate in this episode. So I'm going to cover the libertarian candidate, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. Dr. Joe Jorgensen does not have a book either, and so I will only be able to consult outside information for what I present about her. So I'll stick to the basic details about her life and policy stances that I've found both on Wikipedia and on her website and a few other places. As such, this episode will consist of the following segments. The first segment will be all about Mike Pence, personal, professional, policy, and then one thing that really stuck out to me about him. Segment two will be about Dr. Joe Jorgensen, her personal, professional, and policy. Segment three, I'll do a recap of this whole series where I, I just mentioned things I learned, kind of overall ideas, and then also uh, a few things about each of the of the candidates. And then segment four, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap the one thing that I highlighted about each of the candidates in the different episodes. So for this book by Charlotte Pence, it was released in 2018, and it covers her time traveling with her parents on the campaign trail and after the election from 2016 to 2017, the, in, into the summer of 2017. As for Mike Pence, uh, here's a personal timeline for him. He was born in 1959, which puts him a, as a member of the boomer generation. And boomers are from 1943 to 1960. And I take that delineation from the Generations book by William Strauss and Neil Howe. And so that it puts him towards the tail end of the boomer generation. We've had three boomer presidents. One was Don, uh, well, is Donald Trump, and then the other two are Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. Pence grew up one of six children. His father served in the Korean War, and he made this one statement about his father that he never got over the guilt of coming home. It's a pretty powerful statement about his father. So just the rough time in the war, um, saw a lot of things his father did, and just had this tremendous guilt for the rest of his life that he got to come home, and many of his friends did not. Mike, Mike Pence never served 
and he names that as one of his biggest regrets in life. Since Mike Pence was a small child, he wanted to serve as a congressman in Washington, D.C. He was a history major as an undergraduate, and he has three children. Michael, his, his son, is a U.S. Marine. Charlotte, his daughter, who is the author of this book, is a, an artist and a writer. And then his other daughter, Audrey, is a world traveler and a lawyer. Mike Pence says he is a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. In uh, one kind of interesting statement, he, he said he started out as a Democrat. And, and here is the quote from Charlotte in this book. President Reagan is a personal hero of his. He was the reason Dad even became a Republican, having been a youth coordinator for local Democrats in Bartholomew County, Indiana, as a young man, end quote. I just found that interesting because it was a, a connection with, with Trump when I covered him. Uh, Donald Trump also, also mentioned that he had been a Democrat and became a Republican, and so had, uh, had Mike Pence. Mike Pence also made a statement uh, where he said, I'd rather lose an election than lose my family. And that is a sentiment that, that shows throughout this book. Uh, Mike Pence always, he's just a strong believer in, in family first, uh, putting the, the right things first. And so that, that statement kind of sums up a lot about his life. I'd rather lose an election than lose my family. As for his professional timeline, uh, it, he started out as a lawyer. So just kind of a funny, funny connection with uh, two of the other candidates, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were uh, also started out as as lawyers. From being a lawyer, Mike Pence went to be a talk radio host. He hosted the Mike Pence Show, and uh, Mike says he has a special place in his heart for media. In 2000, he became congressman for the state of Indiana. In 2012, governor of Indiana, and then in 2016, Trump announced him as the, his VP pick, and announced him over over oh, announced that over Twitter. As for policy, there wasn't a whole lot of policy discussed in this book in terms of what uh, what Mike Pence believes uh, for for policy issues. But I want to read uh, a couple things and and how I guess how policy came out in the book was more in the sense of life lessons. So there's even at the beginning kind of life rules that Mike Pence passed on to his children, and I mean they're good good stuff like. Um, Call cashiers by the name on their name tag. See everyone. When you miss your chance to climb that Irish hill again, go back. Be honest in all things, especially in the small things. Learn from history. Know your idols. Never be too busy for yard work and a nap on Sundays. Just kind of fun, fun, uh, fun lessons, and, and and his kids would always always uh, remember these. So here here are a, uh, a few things that that stuck out to me in the book. One was when he talked about the most effective way to change the world. And, and this is a paragraph, uh, again, written by his daughter. While it may be thought that the way in which they served others most is through their roles in public life, they have really been doing this their entire lives. And I'm going to take myself out of the quote here for a second. When, when Charlotte's saying they, she, she's mentioning, uh, she's meaning both of her parents. So Mike and, and his wife. Back to the quote, no matter what profession they have found themselves in, I believe they had fostered growth and encouraged the people around them in a way, in any way they can. They have added substance to the world more in their individual interactions with people than they did with any grand sweeping titles. This is the most effective way to change the world, moment by moment, person by person. End quote. 
So just again, no matter what profession they have found themselves in, I believe they have fostered growth and encouraged the people around them in any way they can. And that kind of came out throughout the book as well. Uh, they, Mike Pence loves being around people. He loves talking to people. And, and for him, it's about the individual. Uh, it's not the grand sweeping things you do as a politician, but uh, it's really the person-to-person level. Another interesting thing is, uh, on, since the, this had largely to do with the campaign trail, Charlotte Pence was, was noting that they had a map in the front of the plane that they would use to, to, to travel around the country as they were compa- campaigning in 2016. And they would put a pin in every spot that they went. And, he, well, here's what she says. Some may say that that map was why Trump won. Not the physical piece of it, but the theory behind it. The Trump campaign looked at the empty spots that needed attention, needed pushpins in them. They sent us to the places nobody was going, and we listened to the people who felt their opinions hadn't been heard in a long time. The people Donald Trump called the forgotten men and women of the forgotten places in America. End quote. And that uh, that was a a neat thing as well. Charlotte went on to say that she... She was not surprised at all at the election results. She she remembers watching the news the next day and, and just seeing uh, p- the newscasters' faces in, in shock that Donald Trump had won. And she said, I, I was not surprised at all because I'd been traveling around with my father. I saw people's reactions and, and I saw how my father was 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 around around these people and 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 listening to them and, and that sort of thing. So just really interesting to read that. So if we get into... Uh, what I've done in the other episodes is also highlighted a few quotes that stuck out. So I'll highlight three different quotes from Charlotte, but but about Mike Pence. So the first is about the Pence rule. And I'll just read uh, this section here. After the election, there was a story about one of mom and dad's practices in their marriage that came to be known as the Pence rule. It was discussed a bit on the news for a few days. Dad and I were up watching together one night when I decided to call it a night and go to bed. But as I was heading up the stairs, I felt like there was something else I needed to say. I headed back and sat on the edge of the couch. Dad, I said, yeah, thank you. For what? For only having dinner with my mom my entire life. He smiled and I hugged him. I hope that moment showed him that that was all that mattered. His kid appreciated it. His daughter looked up to him and felt grateful for him not having dinner with other women. At the end of the day, at the end of our lives, it only matters what we did, what was right for the people who matter most. Next quote, meeting real people. One story in particular stands out to me. We were on one of our many stops in Pennsylvania and had stopped at a restaurant to meet with voters and invest in the local economy. Dad went around to each of the tables, shaking hands and answering questions they had about policy, the candidate, and the country as a whole. This is truly one of Dad's favorite things to do as a politician, if not the favorite thing, meeting with real people, talking to them, and gaining their insight. End quote. Last, last quote. Truth be told, I don't agree with Dad on everything policy-related, and we have spirited, healthy debates about this. I am not a politician, and it is my opinion that my political beliefs do not need to be publicly broadcasted. I understand that others would find it perhaps fascinating if I were to vote against him in an election. However, this would not be strange in my family. In fact, it would be celebrated if I decided to do that. This is because our beliefs are our own. We do not have to agree with our parents in their politics, religion, or way of life. They encouraged us to have our own opinions, yet to have an open mind towards theirs. 
This is the way in which I was raised. Being open-minded does not mean that you have to agree with everything or disagree with everything or have no opinion at all. It simply means that you have to be curious. You have to be open to attempting to understand another point of view. Once someone's position is formed, you also need to respect their opinion and allow them to have it without being ashamed. This was not only encouraged in my family growing up, it was practiced. End quote. As for the one thing, the one thing that stuck out about Mike Pence, I'd have to say it's that uh, that statement I read under the policy section where, where he said the most effective way to change the world is is person by person. And and then also just his his focus on his family and, and not wanting to mess that up, not not wanting to risk further glory in terms of uh, position or or renown, uh, but but lose his family in the process. And it reminded me of a, of a book I read for this project, All the King's Men. And in that book, I knew it was going to be about a politician, but and, and I thought it might be about like the grand sweeping things that this politician was able to do in, in his society. And I remember this being my one thing, my one key takeaway about All the King's Men. And it was this, that what mattered in that politician's life was how he treated those closest to him. And he treated them horribly. This was in, in, the, in the novel, All the King's Men. He treated them horribly, and that ended up being the ruin of his life. And with Mike Pence, you just see the exact opposite. I mean, his focus is first on his family. That is most important to him. And then anything he does outside of that is, is gravy. But uh, just that was the, the one thing that really stuck out to me about, about Mike Pence. to segment two and Dr. Joe Jorgensen. There are other people on the ballot. The options are not just Trump or Biden. On my Tennessee ballot, there are actually seven independent candidates running for president. One of those is Kanye West. Another is Dr. Joe Jorgensen. There are a lot of people who will tell you that if you vote for a third party candidate, you're just wasting your vote or worse, you're helping one side or the other by, by voting for a third party. But the fact is, if you vote for a third-party candidate, you are voting for a third-party candidate. So it is an option, and to give credence to that option, I wanted to at least highlight one of the seven independent candidates. The reason I chose the Libertarian Party candidate is that she is on the ballot in all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. Also, according to the Federal Election Commission, if a third party gets over 5% of the popular vote, they're eligible for public funding in the next election cycle. So if you live in the United States, you pay taxes, and on your tax return, you have the option to select a box that says give $3 to the, the public funding for elections. And that fund is there, and, and if you get over 5% of the vote, your party, you, you can get some money that would help, help you in a, in a next election. So that's another reason why some people may want to vote for a third party. So to go into to Dr. Jorgensen's life a little bit, she was born in 1957, so that puts her in the boomer generation. She was born in Libertyville, Illinois, is ancestrally Scandinavian, so she is the granddaughter of immigrants from Denmark and Sweden. In 1979, she, she earned a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology at Baylor in Texas. In 1980, she, she earned her MBA at Southern Methodist University. And then in 2002, she, she got her PhD at Clemson in industrial and organizational psychology. 
she's married. She has two daughters and now a grandson. And unfortunately, her mother passed away just last month in September. So September 3rd, 2020, she took a little time off her campaign for that. As for a professional timeline, in 1992, she ran for the U.S. House of Representatives in South Carolina. She lost with, with just 2.2% 2, 2, 2 of the vote, but uh, she ran as the, the Libertarian Party. In 1996, she was the vice president for the uh, Libertarian Party candidate with author Harry Brown, who was running for president, and they received 0.5% of the popular vote. She is a senior lecturer at Clemson, and she's been that since 2006. One of the courses she teaches is on pursuing happiness. In 2019, she formally launched her campaign for president, and she is the first woman to become a libertarian nominee. Spike Cohen is her vice president. For policy, I'm going to highlight three policy stances by her, and I'm just going to read from things I found online that give a little more detail. So the first policy issue is free market healthcare. And so she believes in having financed spending, uh, well, for people to, to finance spending accounts, and then they would pay money for their medical and their healthcare from that account. And so it, create, it would create competition in her mind in, in that people would be paying for their own healthcare. It wouldn't go through insurance. And so, uh, that would create competition. So here, here's a little more of what she says about that. What I've been telling voters is that if you look at only two somewhat free market healthcare systems or healthcare fields in the U.S., they've been going down in price. For instance, late instance, LASIK eye surgery. If you look from around the early 90s to around 2012, prices dropped 70 to 75 percent because people paid for that with their own money. The different clinics had to compete. So while the prices are going down 70% in that field, general healthcare costs are going up 125% because with general healthcare, you're not paying the price. You couldn't even comparison shop if you wanted to. Around 15 years ago, I didn't have insurance for a while and had to have an MRI or CAT scan. So I called a few places to find out how much it costs. Nobody could tell me. They said, we have to ask your insurance company. I said, well, I don't have insurance. We can't tell you. I mean, imagine having to buy a car like that or a computer and being told, we just can't tell you the price, end quote. Second policy issue is on Social Security. She's for individual retirements, retirement accounts re replacing Social Security. So here, here's a quote about that. All the young people are saying, I'm never going to see a dime of that money. And in fact, a lot of 50-year-olds don't believe they're going to ever see that money. They have reason to be concerned because that money, which was supposed to be put in a separate trust, was not. That money was used to keep the government going. So there is no money to be paid out. In fact, if you look, it, if Social Security were a private business, like a private insurance company or private retirement fund, they would be breaking the United States law. So here's what I'm suggesting we do. We sell a lot of the government assets that were bought with citizens' money. Then, first of all, we basically give the people who have retired their money back if they want it back. And then to, be, to the younger people, we just tell them you, can't, you can opt out you would be much better off. Even young people are saying, I'd much rather, I'd be much better off having my own system than putting money into a failing system, which does not have a good return on investment anyway. End quote. The final one is government spending, which she would like to cut. And then uh, on the flip side of that, not adding any more to the, to the national debt. So Dr. Jor Jorgensen says she will veto any bill that adds so much as a dime to the nationals to the nation's crippling debt. 
And then another quote by her, I think it could help everybody. Speaking as somebody who studies human behavior and who studies psychology, I understand that people are happiest when they get to make their own decisions. When they're autonomous, instead of being told by others what to do. This is the way that we can live peacefully and happily. So since I do, I do teach psychology and I've got a PhD in psychology, I understand that people do more of what they're rewarded for and they do less of what they're punished for. If you're a healthy human being, you look out for your own self-interest. That's just our nature. We have a need to survive. End quote. Now into segment three, and I just thought I'd recap a little of what I learned about the candidates. First off, I wanted to highlight their ages and their generations. Kamala Harris was born in 1964. That puts her in Generation X, and she is 55 years old. Donald Trump, 1946, was when he was born. That puts him as a boomer, and he is 74 years old. Joe Biden, 1942, silent generation, 77 years old. Mike Pence, 1959, a boomer, 61 years old. And Dr. Joe Jorgensen, 1957, a boomer, 63 years old. These generational designations are debated, and in fact, many of these candidates are right on the borders of these generations. So as I mentioned before, I'm using, I'm referring to to the the Generations book by William Strauss and Neil Howe, which I've covered on this podcast. It was one of those books that's a very important book. And the fascinating thing that I learned in that book is that we have never had a president from the silent generation. There have been plenty who have run, but no one has ever been a president who who was born in the as as part of the silent generation. Silent generation was the the generation right after the GI generation, which Tom Brokaw called the the greatest generation. And they they have it, it's amazing. I mean, there are seven GI presidents, zero silent generation presidents. We've had three boomer presidents, and we've had one generation X president, Obama, who who is pretty close on the border between Boomer and and Generation X. So again, Kamala Harris is Generation X, Donald Trump, Boomer, Joe Biden, Silent, Mike Pence, Boomer, and Dr. Joe Jorgensen, Boomer. Another thing that stuck out to me is is, uh, the professions. So again, we have three lawyers, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, and Mike Pence, and one real estate magnet, and then one business consultant slash university lecturer. I was surprised to see the some working across the aisle in in these books, and there were a number of of examples. But but here were some examples of kindness that 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 really stood out to me. The first was in the Pence book, so again by her daughter, where once Mike Pence has become vice president, they they go to the vice president house in Washington, D.C., and the, the Bidens are living there. And the Bidens welcome them very kindly, show them around the house. And uh, Charlotte Pence just mentioned how kind the Bidens were to the to the Pences. A second thing was when uh, Charlotte Pence was at an event and, and Hillary Clinton was there. And Charlotte really wanted to to meet Hillary. And she said this, she could have been rude to me. She could have dismissed me with her tone or the way she spoke, but she didn't do that. Instead, she took me seriously as an individual person. And honestly, not many people do that. Of all people, she would have been somewhat justified in being curt to me, but she was not. End quote. And again, I thought that was interesting here. They're in a room full of people and she just 
was telling how Hillary was just focused on her that that whole time, and uh, that that made such an impression on on Charlotte Pence. And then in Biden's book, uh, Biden would talk quite a bit about George W. Bush, and and there were things he did not like about George W. Bush, but he he also had a lot of kind things to say about him, and kind of dispelled this this narrative of George W. Bush being stupid, and uh, just. Would, would talk about the respect he had for him. And, and Biden did that to uh, mention a lot of people in, in that sense in, in his book where they're going across lines. And, and it just, it stuck out, I guess, because that's just not happening a lot right now. And, and so I was struck by, by those examples in, in, in some of the books. Another observation, just that both Pence and Trump were Democrats, and then they switched to becoming Republicans. And I want to close out with with just some overall thoughts for this this project. Again, I read fifty two books per year, and I, I about a month ago decided I wanted to read a book about each of the candidates. I am embarrassingly uninformed about the lives of each of these candidates. It didn't doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, whether they're currently the president or vice president, or they're running. I just don't know a lot about their lives. I, I know a lot of the sound bites and they're the sound, same sound bites you've heard, but I couldn't have told you that, well, like Kamala was raised at Berkeley and, and were uh, raised at Berkeley protests, that her, her parents were going to those protests, uh, that Donald Trump made it a point to have dinner with his, with his kids every night, or that Joe Biden had two surgeries for brain aneurysms, or that Mike Pence was a radio show host. These are just things I didn't know. And I realized that it's not the best way to learn about a candidate by reading their book. Their books are obviously going to be biased. Uh, Mike Pence didn't even have a book, so it was a book by his, his daughter. But it was at least a start. And I got to know a little bit about these people and their early lives and the path that they took to get to where they are. And I'm really glad I did it for for that reason. And and I'll probably start doing this from now on. So anytime there is a new election, uh, I will read the book about the people I've not read a book about before. So it, it was a good experience. I'm, I'm glad I did it. And it just gave a little more context and I guess allowed me to take a step back and not just view people through a prism of what other people are saying about them but to really get to know their lives and and get get have a more holistic view about them so now on to the final segment and the one thing i always close up my my podcasts with sharing the one thing i always hope to remember from the book and and what i want to do in this episode is cover the one thing that i highlighted about each of the candidates so first, Kamala Harris. thing that struck me the most about her was in 2014, she got a call from then U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. And she asked him, or, sorry, Eric Holder asked Kamala Harris, would you be interested in the job for U.S. Attorney General? She said, I will think about it and I'll get back to you. And she thought about it and decided not to take it because she was in the Attorney General role in California at the time. And she was in the middle of, of doing some things she wanted to see through to fruition. And I, I thought that said a lot about Kamala Harris, that she would turn down a job that she, she would have, I mean, that was like the pinnacle of what she 
could get to with, I mean, it's the top lawyer job in the country. And she turned it down because she wanted to see her work through in California. For Donald Trump, the thing that stuck out to me most was just the the sheer number of deals and business that he has done in his life. In the back of the bill, the, uh, the the back of the book that I read by him, it it lists his properties and and things. And there's two columns, and it covers two plus pages of just major, huge buildings that he owns. For Joe Biden, it was the amount of history that he's been involved in. I covered that in the episode, but uh, but just the people he's met, the world leaders, the the major U.S. history events that he's been a part of. And then for Mike Pence, his comment that the most effective way to change the world is person by person, and just how he exhibits that in his event, the events that he does, he he makes it a point to to meet people individually and and, and speak to them, and not just stand on the stage and and, and speak. Uh, to a crowd. So to recap, I, I hope you got to know the candidates a little bit more through this this series of four four episodes. Next week or the week after, I'll, I'll go back to covering non-political books. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at Let me know what you thought of this episode or other ones. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at booksoftitans.com forward slash support. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. The website is stock full of resources to help you find books and create a, your own reading list. I'll be back next week or the week after discussing another book from my 2020 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. I'm out.